Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede Titan Dwarfcast for Series 7, Episode 2, Stoke Me a Clipper. We're sorry again. <laughs> Although this is one of the better ones of Series 7. Yeah. Uh, anyway. It's got a big problem, isn't it? We'll come to that. <laughs> we were fucking I right. am Ian Symes and I'm joined by fellow GNTers Jonathan Capps. Hi. And Danny Stevenson. Yeah. And also from the official Red Dwarf fan club, Joe Sharples. Hello. So, if you'd like to watch along uh, and sync up the Dwarfcast to the telly, you can do so after these pips. Hey! Eight out of ten cats prefer Ganymede and Titan! There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. Ah, a cold open. Shut that window. Yeah. Uh, now, hang on a minute. The first ever Red Dwarf cold open? The second... Third, depending on how you define uh, not parallel universe. Depending on how you define parallel universe, but um, Ticket to Ride, the episode before this. Oh shit! Of course, yeah. Okay, so all right, yeah. No, that makes sense because I remember when this went out on TV. I was at the <clears> time obsessively recording the things I wanted to archive and keep and rewatch, mm. and um, the concept of a cold open hadn't really occurred to me until Ticket to Ride, obviously, yeah. and then this one. And it really, really, really fucked me up because I was used to. <laughs> you were you were recording it on the dot, like you were yeah. you were cutting out and the idents and and, and every, I didn't yeah. mind having a bit of like cutting out a bit of the title sequence because that's repeated a yeah. lot. And uh, yeah, cold opens fucked me up. So thanks, Ed Bye, everyone. <laughs> if just, it was indeed his decision, I just well, think it's yeah, interesting that Ken Molly is basically playing the same character he did in Daz Army. And, and um, <laughs> with, with, with him being a Nazi, the same character. Unlegal advice, I'm going to terminate that conversation there. But yeah, I've encountered Ken Morley in a professional uh, capacity. So Ken Morley is the first person ever uh, to have appeared in both Red Dwarf and Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah. And it um, didn't end particularly well for him. <laughs> he, he jumped out of well a plane, <laughs> essentially. <clears throat> this is... An extraordinary opening sequence to a Red Dwarf episode, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like regardless of opinions, and I happen to like it. It's good. It's I do like it. It's very different. I mean, that crocodile is not the greatest, but well, Chris it's is from right, a right, fine tradition of um, shit reptiles. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's reptiles. it's weird now because that this shot that's coming up with the uh, ace on the crocodile has been plastic crocodile plastic crocodile the thing is it's it's been taken completely out of context now and people just show this as a random thing that's happened in mm. some weird film and people don't realize it's from a dwarf people just parody. think it's from yeah. yeah people think that that's a genuine to be taken seriously like a bollywood film has like you know <laughs> some terrible effects yeah. sometimes they show it as like a out of context um so i've seen that a few times on message boards where they don't even know where it's from, they've just gone, ha, look at this random thing. Although, you know, in the Red Dwarf canon, this is actually happening mm. to that version of Ace in that reality. In that dimension, yeah. Princess Bonjilla. She's an excellent name for a princess. <laughs> she's, that, she's that minty flavour, it's quite nice. <laughs> she's quite nice if you smear her on your mouth also. You can't sit down and eat her. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, anyway, this is uh, number 42 in the Silver Survey Stoke Me Clipper. The cold open's really fucked up our format as well. It really has. Yeah. It's fucked um, everything up. So yeah, it's the second best episode of Series 7 according to the Silver Survey behind only Ticket to Ride. 
and it is only one place behind Waiting for God, which is the lowest placed episode of series one to six. Wow. So we're saying that it's kind of the best the show got in series seven and eight, this and Ticket to Ride, which is fair enough. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've probably talked about it to death whenever we talk about series seven, but if it had maintained the same standard as the first two episodes, then it probably overall series seven wouldn't be seen with such a downer i think but yeah. i don't think it's a coincidence that the first two episodes are the only two that have chris barry as a regular yeah I'll... i think so and chris um, barry slash rimmer as I a think, side yeah. note that let's not get on to slash when um, <laughs> when the motorbike is revving up before it bursts out of that shed it uses the same sound effect as a red dwarf as a star yes it does <laughs> oh yeah the kind of jet sound it yeah. is also used in the semi-obscure simon Pegg and arthur matthews pen sitcom hippies <laughs> oh yeah uh, this is also um shot uh, Northall Air Base. It is RAF Northall. Is somewhere that me and Ian ended up one night uh, <laughs> after falling asleep on each other's shoulders on a bus, and we went in search. We were just outside Northall in search of sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Going up to an all night garage asking what sandwiches have you got? <laughs> yeah. These um, soldiers made a return in the Red Dwarf A to Z, and then a plastic crocodile fell on their head. It's good. Like so. Yes. It's good. Okay, th- yeah, that's a, that is this a is very, great. very strong sequence. Yeah, it's kind of, and the fact that it is pre-titles as well makes it feel like just a kind of standalone, what if non-sequitur. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't have an impact on the plot. It's it's there to illustrate what Ace Rimmer's life is like. Yeah, but it's just there mainly just for fun. <clears throat> it's just like let's see what we can do. Well, apart from the fact he got shot. Oh yeah, of course he did. Yeah, it does have an impact on the plot. Mm. This was not. Oh, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of brushed off as like, oh, his dad hardly can deal with it, but it actually turns out to be quite serious. And that, it's consistent with um, his original appearance in Dimension Jump. He had a broken arm. He was, was, you know, quite badly injured, but brushed it off and carried on with it. And that's when he was a human, not a hologram. And this is Um, an unnecessarily long. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? And it sets up. It sets this up is the thing that I have a real massive problem with oh, in yeah. this episode. Which yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get, to, which we'll get to. But, but again, this is like a sketch. This is yeah. This is like a little five-minute lister in a medieval AR sketch. This could be like a children need or a <laughs> yeah separate thing. And it has quite the caliber of guest cast. Mm. This little sketch mm. with Brian Cox before, before he. Went he into a strong... <laughs> Before, after the keyboards, before the astronomy, <laughs> yeah. and Sarah Alexander, who yeah. is very good indeed, and starred in Rob Grant's The Strangerers, oh, uh, not yes, long after this. I mean, this is uh, the, the setup for this is kind of insane. Yeah, it is considering. Uh, I mean, again, it's connected to the main plot. Hang on, but it's... isn't a very young Richard Naylor one of those two children there? Very possibly. Yes. I am I'm convinced I can't remember which one it is or how I know this but one of them I think it was something that Ray Peacock mentioned or Ian Boldsworth depending on what he's called mentioned in one of the warm-up songs uh, one of the series 12 records that one of those two kids at the front is Richard Naylor yeah the short one I think and this was his, fir- his first major <laughs> impact on Red Dwarf the way his Brian... second was to ruin only the good <laughs> and his third was to be fair working on series 10 and 11 and 12 
the way Brian Cox says list of smeg <laughs> like makes up for the fact that well he's called Lister of Smeg <laughs> the, the most low effort name there. and yeah it was around this title not long after this that I was really getting into um, fandom really with um, <clears throat> being active in writing into Better Than Life and stuff and also I just got the internet like the year after this and every fucker on those early internet groups was called X of Smeg <laughs> for so long well, it's like if only any... they'd thought of going for Smegmeister. Yeah, that was something classy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like when you you know when you start an RPG, you just give yourself a stupid name so that whenever the main characters say it, it sounds funny. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's not a single game I've Nob-rock. played where it asks for your name where it, yeah, Cuntrops, Knobrock, Wankstein, <laughs> Pissflaps, um, uh, Knobrash. Interesting uh, trivia there. Uh, Lister's just made a joke suggesting that he's a Liverpool fan and not a Leeds fan. Whereas, in fact, Craig Charles apparently is a Leeds fan based on a program. He was, was as a child. No, a Leeds was as fan a child. Because we watched earlier. We're recording this in July 2017, right? Regardless of when we get around to releasing <laughs> it. But we watched a program earlier this evening that I recorded off ITV that went out in September 2016 <laughs> of Craig Charles talking about his childhood and going around his old houses and shit. And he said that. When he was little, one of his brothers was a Liverpool fan, one of his brothers was an Everton fan, so he had to be a Leeds fan. Yeah. Which I'm not quite sure that's how it works. I don't think that's a thing. But he is a Liverpool fan now. Um, oh, okay, fair enough. But as a child, he was a Leeds fan, apparently, which we only learnt today. And that reminds me of Blackadder so much. <laughs> and, it, um, and, and always annoys me, just before that joust... Um, it's either Lister's or the the other knight's helmet doesn't go down properly. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm just looking for Richard Naylor now. A lot of this is, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> they cropped the screen right off, right where he is. <laughs> Didn't they He's know right, that yeah. he was gonna turn up, uh, grow up to be Doug Naylor's son? And he's playing front and centre. I didn't know what a chastity belt was when I first watched this. I had no idea why she had a helmet up her skirt. <laughs> helmet up her skirt. It's like, where'd that torch device come from? I like the shaking tent. It's very good. <laughs> <coughs> it's, it's not wasting any time at all. It's going to a fair old clip as well. <laughs> It'll get burnt out. <laughs> oh, motion blur. That's a really nice model you've just fucked. <laughs> you've series seven. That that's right one up. of them. Um, that's one of the biz effects department's um, jobs, isn't it? The um, wild flower. <laughs> um, well, he was called the wild fire in backwards, but not named in the TV series. Uh, mm. But yes, I, very true. I like that. What all we're having a disco? <laughs> having a disco. <laughs> there are some good jokes. This is the first episode to be aired to be co-written by someone other than Rob or Doug. Mm. This was Paul Alexander uh, wrote the first draft of this, and then Doug beefed it. Yeah, uh, we assume. I think I don't think we know for sure, but <clears throat> yeah, there is no first yeah, draft available. It's credited to Paul Alexander and Doug Naylor. Really nice, um, actually really nice shot. A little bit uh, series tenny, I guess. There was some just nice panning within a single set, mm. which you didn't 
didn't get previous to this series very much, but like yeah. a dynamic around four walls, a, a four wall set, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we do now. That's the, you know, there's a, there's a bit of, Starbucks view screen, a bit of physical set between the camera and the main set, and that's essentially what we have now for series eleven and twelve. Yeah, that's very true. That Starbuck, Starbuck itself is enclosed, and you can see you know, the the view screen. Good model. Yeah, it's really nice. This is one of the ones I think I'm right in saying that as a general rule, earlier on in the series or earlier on in production of the series, there's more Modern models, stuff. and towards the end, it's when the the stuff that the model unit did was not suitable because the scripts had changed and whatnot. Yeah. So you can pretty much split that between good and bad. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, yeah, it's a bit simplistic, but I guess but the episodes so that we... Doug's confident with and have the least changes later on in development obviously are going to be the better ones because he doesn't feel the need to change them. Mm. It, we do... Um, have access to a draft of um, the Natural Born Rimmers script as it was known at the time I don't know if everyone who's listened to the podcast has visited the site but there was an article that we published about six months ago now charting the early drafts of series 7 and annoyingly um, this episode is one of the ones with the fewest changes between the copy of the script that I've got (laughs) because it was the shooting script the one that was actually taken into the studio uh, and in fact, the script I had had um, the whole pre-titles and all the Lister of Smeg stuff was not included in the script because that was stuff that was already shot on location. Ah, okay. ah, so all I've got is the studio script and it just says, you know, these scenes have been shot already type thing. Um, it's usually it's just tiny changes in the dialogue, nothing major, the structure's yeah. all the same. So, uh, so I've undersold the quality of this article, really. It'd be brilliant <laughs> to read Paul, Paul Alexander's first book. Yeah. Which is um, something that we have the privilege of for some of the other episodes, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, not... Some good doubling in this episode. Uh, yeah. It's good. <laughs> I mean... And in that one, they just tied his entire face with wig. But... <clears throat> but it's good enough that at the time I was watching it, I wasn't. I didn't even kind of think about the fact that there was two rumours there. Well, that's... Yeah, that's both the quality of the direction and of Chris Barrett's performance, that yeah. he's, he is playing two completely different characters. Mm. And the fact that I was a credulous youth. <laughs> and, then there's, and then there's the bit when when Chris is playing Arnold playing Ace, which is not the easiest thing to do. But it's perfect. To yeah. mix the two characters together. It's like Mel Blanc having Daffy Duck do the impression of Bugs Bunny. It doesn't make sense, but it works. <laughs> And this is the first reveal that this isn't the same ace, isn't it? Yeah, but he knows who they are, so how does that work? I assume that Ace keeps diaries. Yeah, some oh, important okay. information. Yeah, so when he jumps into a particular dimension, if an ace has visited it before, he gets given the, the relevant information. God yeah. almighty, that's a lot of information to be passed on. He's <laughs> essentially making a big book for uh, for people travelling around the galaxy <laughs> some sort of um, <laughs> some sort of guide yeah, but Ace, guide but with someone who have their has their own transport hitchhiking if you will Ace Rimmer <laughs> is Ford Prefect discuss I like that because like, Mary's <laughs> probably got an opinion on Ford Prefects yeah. there you go. he caught the business end of a neutron trunk so yeah 
the original list. This yeah. is really, really, really good drama. Mm. And like some of the most, definitely one of the most dramatic things that That's Marcellus done. Wallace's suitcase. It's yeah, it marks a, a shift that Tika started <clears throat> in series seven, and, and it's like it's obviously a bit of a but simplification lost. and a cliche yeah. to say that it becomes a comedy drama because I don't know if you remember recently on Twitter there was this whole thing about the defining the difference between a comedy drama and a sitcom, yeah. and someone said that the difference is that in a comedy drama you care about the characters. Yeah. To which the response of that is what? So no one cared about Del Boy and Rodney then. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, or Victor Maldry. For or one any example, other. out of all of out of all of sitcoms, all of good sitcoms. But anyway, um, yeah, it it started telling types of stories that Red Dwarf didn't before, and it kind of it's Red Dwarf growing its own mythology, really. Yeah, but it didn't follow through on it because I would say Robus was the last episode to really try and actually bother doing that with Lister's mm. origin, and then after that. It was a kind of an awkward sitcom in ill-fitting suit. Yeah, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what the difference is. I mean, Aurobus isn't great, and actually, Blue probably does the same thing. Okay, maybe I'm talking out my ass, but <laughs> but no, yeah, this like, is the one that's most comfortable with its drama, definitely. Yeah, and and in taking the characters that have been established over six years and putting a new spin on them. Of you know, yeah. well, obviously, you've got to write Rimmer out, and that's a fucker of a thing to do. Rimmer is the best character in Red Dwarf. Yeah. This L- Lister is the main character, but Rimmer is the best character. IMO. Yeah. Um, Lister drives more of the plots, and it's his story. But bloody hell, you can't do Red Dwarf without Rimmer, no. as the latter half of this series proves. Yeah. He's, I mean, <laughs> the best episode after. I was going to say after Chris Barry left, because it's a weird order. But yeah. Blue almost feels like him coming back. It's actually mm. quite a clever. A clever mishmash. Use because, of his time. Yeah, yeah. use of his time uh, is to to split him out and spread him a bit thinner. And again, like to spread him out. This this series in series eight, if there'd been six episodes, I think the cumulative difference on the quality of those six episodes would have been much bigger than just like just cutting those two episodes. Like them being artificially extended seems to be the root of so many mm. annoying. Niggly issues that we keep coming back to. This yeah. is good. I do love how shit that looks. Yeah, no, actually, this this works very well. So as, you as can excuse it is the yeah, it's a bad AR game. Yeah, yeah. it's not a bad effect. In Which the is show. more relevant now because people are yeah. a bit more aware of what a bad VR what, game. Yeah. What, yeah. I love, what I love is the rendered graphics of the mountains are so realistic, and yet they haven't. Well, bothered. No, <laughs> no, literally, this 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 AR program is just stock footage. <laughs> just stock footage just playing all around your head. <laughs> 360 stock footage. <laughs> Which probably exists now. Yeah, no, I would imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good use of the AR, which which it yeah. happens again in blue, I guess. Oh, stop motion blurring. I don't think... See, the motion blur is clearly done there to kind of cover <clears throat> up some ropiness, but I think... Most of the time, when there isn't motion blur on it, it it's it, it's decent enough. It's passable. Mm. I think it's the motion blur that really kind of it jars distracts you. you and makes you realise yeah. that what you were seeing isn't real. Yeah, it looks artificial, which obviously it is, and you know that the model shots aren't real either. But you you don't. But you, it it's good enough Nothing to clashes. trick your brain yeah. to not be too jarring. But yeah, you, know, you don't draw attention to the fact that it's not real. Does that reveal? 
Which has always been a wig. <laughs> and it's a wig. <laughs> this one's just a shitter one than he used to have. Yeah. What's the current theory of where that wig ended up? Is it that Chris nicked it? Chris nicked it and he's pretending pretending that someone else nicked it. Yeah, and he wears it around the house. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not get onto the controversy of when and where Chris is and isn't wearing a wig. (laughs) Chris is definitely wearing a wig here. Yes, this is a wig. (laughs) Yeah, it's this sort of like this this startled ace look. It's just brilliant. Interestingly, in the shooting script, um, following the wig being handed over to R. Rimmer, the script refers to him as Rimmer slash Ace throughout, with further directions denoting Ace voice or Rimmer voice, depending on the line. Oh, okay. It says here. That's good. There's a good thorough a journalist that wrote that. Yeah, like that, when he says, oh, but he's got humans too, that's Rimmer, and then it switches yeah. back, and he's trying to remember that he's... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, really good. <laughs> Extraordinary. (laughs) Rimmer voice and then ace voice. I like how he he blurts out his ace lines as well, like he's just trying to get it just get get them out in there and get away. Like he's almost embarrassed to get out of them, like he's almost embarrassed to say it. Okay. (laughs) Over to you. So what the fucking hell is this? Well, what it because is, this bit is kind of okay. Yeah, this is Lister pretending Lister to be Lister is pretending night. to be a knight that's escaped from the AR machine, and as far as Rimmer is concerned at this point, that's what it is. Yes. A knight has escaped from the AR machine. He's got some sort of voice changer in to disguise his voice. Yeah. And he's pretending. And it's part of this. And so Rimmer uses this to gain the confidence to think, oh my God, I can actually do this. I'm all right. This is fine. It's what happens a little bit later yes. that is the bit that's... And it's the reaction of the of the others that they're yeah. just basically like, oh, uh, what? Okay, Knight escaped from the air machine, killed Rimmer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's Rimmer, I guess... Isn't that right? Uh, unless, at that point, and this is all speculation, <laughs> this is like stuff that's not in the script at all, but um, do we wonder if behind the scenes, unseen to us, Lister is filled... Cat and Crichton in, yeah. As to what's as to what the situation is, the rumor's leaving, but he's pretending to be Ace. Ah, and okay. so they're playing along with it as well. Right. It's all to give Rimmer the confidence. So they're all, they're all uh, playing yeah. along. But then, oh yeah, of course. I, I was going to say then, generous, but yeah. that could be a way of interpreting. It. I mean, it's a really easy fix, actually. When you mm. think about it to explain it away. I think it's just, but it is a stretch. Yeah, it it, a stretch. I don't think that was what was intended necessarily. That bazooka is too small, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, it should it should refer back to Dimension Jim Dwarfcast, <laughs> but in joke. Um, I like how he puts the live ammo back in just in case a knight does escape. <laughs> yeah. You never know. No, you're right. You're right. He, List has filled them in. Of course, he fucking has. Why have I never? I don't know. I just made it up. Well, it's because he's makes, doing it now. He's doing it right now. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. As, because as, they're they're so nonchalant, they're just like okay, Rimmer's dead. Oh right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I know they they would be shocked. They've travelled with this person at this mm. point for seven years. And why do they come in at that point as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless they heard the noise or something. Yeah, our Rimmer, who's now Ace, yeah. is in shock, and he mm-hmm. starts talking in his normal Rimmer voice. And Crichton says, "Oh, sir, the shock has made you talk like Mister Rimmer." 
I think Crichton would have said, oh, but your rimmer in Ace is weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's obvious. <laughs> so, yeah, I th- I'm, I'm going to stick with this theory. This is the, the official theory. Yeah, because Crichton would say um, it's impossible for a knight to yeah. escape, escape from, from this the This is, the, this is the thing that we've been struggling with for years, is why Crichton in particular accepts what Lister says. But maybe so, he's just pretending. And after, yeah. The whole thing is just to, for, for Rimmer's benefit. So after being snotty about people that really need to see uh, what happened after Series 8 in a previous <laughs> uh, dwarf cast. We've actually <laughs> we've just, all all we've done is just like reject something because we didn't see it actually happen on the screen in front of our faces. No, we're just yeah. filling in blanks. That no, perhaps might have could have been filled. No, in I just mean screen. that we'd never before now we never once considered. Oh, maybe maybe this is actually resolved by something that's said off screen. Does that mm. make sense? Perhaps I never even thought about it. <laughs> it's good. I think maybe because it's so it's doing drama so well. That that bit that just felt like it was maybe brushing over something that should have a big dramatic impact yeah. felt like a, a bit of a not a betrayal. That's a very strong word, but like against the grain. A bit of a disappointment. Yeah, um, something to pull you out of the yeah, drama. When the rest of it's so well done, and this goodbye is so well done. Though there is a, a little bit more of things that are not very good to come. The um, oh no, I'm getting ahead of myself. I thought we were about to cut to all the the, the big special effects that are shit. But oh. no, we've got the little funeral scene first. Nice uh, pulpit. <laughs> it's the table, isn't it, from the um from the kitchen. Yeah. With the H on it. Yeah. The table on its side. Um Lister's um duct tape tie is a really good. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a really good. Detail. I'd never figured it out. I thought it was just like a really shiny tie. <laughs> I've never noticed because he's, like, he's playing tape. with it at the start. They hang a like hang a like, it, like, it, like it's oh, it's, oh it's, it's, it's it's really constricting this tie. <laughs> yeah, he's like adjusting it like an actual tie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very tight. Actually, maybe the maybe the prop department was just a bit stretched at this point. <laughs> I mean, essentially, I mean, it's weird. This this is the death of Rimmer again. Yeah, Rumor has died twice. Three times. Oh, really. technically, if we count the. Yeah. Oh, no, quite bad. Time slide. Time this slide. is like a mixture of the deleted funeral scene from the end of yeah. the, uh, and um, Rimmer saying goodbye in Hollowship in kind of tone. Mm. It really reminds me of like the Hollowship scene. <laughs> <laughs> because he, I think even the, the Hollowship scene has a, a mention of Rachel. Maybe not. Rachel's called back to a few times in Justice. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, well, she was Ingrid originally. Yeah. It's kind of roasting Rimmer in the um, in the comedy sense, not in the Tumblr sense. If, uh, you know, having a big speech that takes the piss out of Rimmer is a Justice thing as well. Yeah. And, yeah, it's always Alexander the Great's chief eunuch, that kind of thing that gets called back to. Calls back to sewing ship... Uh, name labels on his ship issue condoms as well, which is from <laughs> series one somewhere. Yeah. And this is uh, Rimmer officially season. becoming an officer as well. For the uh, second time after Hollow Ship, but he resigned yeah. that post. Third, if you count uh, better than life. <laughs> and yeah, this should be lovely. This is <laughs> like this on paper is great. Like. Rimmer, Rimmer realizes how important he is. 
he realizes look his the place frame, in the mate. universe. But look at the state of that effect. <laughs> the phrase is just so distracting. It should be a really brilliant piece of character development for Rimmer, the guy that's always hated himself and always thought that he came up short to realize that he's got this really important place in the universe and the universe is depending on him and he's got this his life is much bigger than he ever thought but all i can think about is god those are awful <laughs> canisters it's really also, hell with the music though yeah. it really sells it for me and i mean i don't mean to be this guy although i do but isn't that too many rimmers well it's infinite isn't it it's had 3 million years are we yeah. It's three million years worth of rumours from an infinite number of realities, so it could be exactly the right amount of rumours. I mean, does it have to be three million years worth? Like, is he on the same time stream even? Not necessarily. Yeah. Because he he started out three million years in the past, ended up three million years in the future on his first trip, and then from that point on started he's dancing about. So it could be it could be. Anything. Well, he's wherever the rumours are in whatever universe. Yeah, he goes where the rumours are. Yeah. He follows the rimmers. He follows the rimmer shaped blur. See you, David boy. It's, it's nice. It's good. It's a really, it's a good send off. It there was a wrinkle in this episode that actually has, seems to have been fixed now. <laughs> and that fucking same arc of Starbuck <laughs> flying off into the distance. This is That's a yeah. It's gone quick again. Mm. This is another rare, not fun in the sun ending. In fact, is this to date the most recent variant end credits I don't think there's been anything other than Fun in the Sun from this point on is there yeah I think you're right yeah 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 that was 20 years ago last time they changed that uh, hang on he just, just credited Voorhees' crocodiles Allison from London Zoo where the fuck was the real crocodile on his lap cut away to a there's a cutaway room. of it on his lap oh shit yeah before okay. Yeah, throws Chris Barry starts <laughs> wrestling it. Yeah, like the real snake in um, Polymorph. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. And uh, they assured me it would be a dead ringer. <laughs> and I said, "How can it be a dead ringer if you've not seen the snake?" <laughs> ah. <laughs> so that was stuck me a clipper. It was. It was good. You might be interested to know that towards the end there's a few things uh, that didn't get shot between the script and the final episode um, where Rimmer was Rimmer slash Ace was going to uh, be trying to leave and accidentally set the windscreen wipers off much <laughs> like Crichton does at the beginning of Backwards. Oh, okay. And then very much like Dimension Jump um, it was going to end with a voiceover of Ace slash Rimmer saying... Uh, now where are those CDs? Bit of driving music. Here we go, and then it goes into the Hammond organ music arrangement of Top Gun, which I suspect is uh, Paul Alexander writing the script, conflating two separate pieces <laughs> of music from Dimension Jump because there's the Hammond organ version of the theme tune, and, and then there's Top also Gun. the Top Gun esque thing. Yeah, the thing is that always the fact that Paul Alexander basically just landed on the two things that they already landed on in Dimension Jump. Yeah, <laughs> and happen to just be like, oh, hang on, no, we we have already done that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, and that's um, that is how it is, isn't it? The Ace Rimmer theme. That's not yeah. library. Yeah, no, that's definitely does. Yeah, because it's um, and yeah, it's a big part of the soundtrack album. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. Seven soundtrack album. Yeah. That Howard Goodall did. It's a very very good piece. Nice piece. So yeah, I I kind of like Stoke Me a Clipper in 
as a series seven episode. Definitely, I, th- I think I might have just appreciated Stoke Me a Clipper more than I ever have in that watch <laughs> because of one tiny in- inconsequential. It, it could, it could fit. be that, but just also like dotted throughout the episode, I've got those little bits that I've just ended up appreciating a lot more. Mm. Maybe post eleven, ten and eleven. I was just about to say, is it now the thing of now that with there's so much distance between us in series seven and there's eight, and room, that yeah. there's that it's not the most recent Red Dwarf, and that you know it, it kind of it dipped and then it died and then lived again. Yeah. Uh, that it doesn't seem the faults don't seem as important now. Yeah, and I you think can so. appreciate the good bits. Also, I think what series ten and eleven have done have is taken solo like Doug Naylor solo Red Dwarf, which is something previously before I hadn't, hadn't really got on with mm. it's still solo Doug Red Dwarf unmistakably but it's better and it, so it's 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 put me more at ease with that style of Red Dwarf which this is still is very much so so guess, yeah you can it, see the grass shoots yeah. of series appreci- 10 and 11 lurking in you know the seedlings of it in series 7 exactly yeah and like since now that I've seen plenty of the good stuff from him um and actually, Stoke Me a Clipper was always good, but yeah. like I'm just seem just a bit more well disposed to. You know, the... I kind of I can't decide what my favorite episode of Seven is out of Tika and Stoke, and I think it's Stoke because the things that I dislike about Tika, I don't have solutions for, yeah. <laughs> which are the beginning, which completely fucks <sighs> over the fucks up the resolution to out of time and. Yeah. The ending in which the crew brutally beat Lister to within an oh, inch of his fuck, life. Yeah, and then there's an, the, the even the cut ending is a bit is technically impressive, but that's still a bit weird from a character perspective as <laughs> yes. well. Like splitting Starbuck into it. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Actually, there's 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 that's not easily fixable. There's one there's one iffy plot bit in in this, and but the rest of it, either side of it, is actually really well set mm. up. The I guess premise is set up. You can say you, the criticism, a valid criticism, would be that the start is very bitty and it takes a while to actually get into the thrust. Could of have things. done without the medieval bit. Maybe. I think perhaps yeah. Looking back, yeah, but the way Brian Cox says whipped cream is also very funny. List of smeg. Is he still with us, that Brian Cox? Yep. Yes, I well, want to say yes. Good. I want to say yes because I don't. I don't like it <laughs> when people die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of Don Henderson, who played the simulant in... Talking about your departures. In... <laughs> He's dead. Yeah. On that note, uh, I think we'll call it an evening. I think so. Shall we? So thank you very much for listening, and uh, until next time, Ed bye, everybody. Ed, Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Thank you.